everyone. It is good to see all of you here in this beautiful Sunday morning the Lord has given us to be here in his presence, to magnify his name, to exalt the one who is worthy to receive all praise. And so we have come to the conclusion of our current message series on the life of Joseph and the sovereignty of God. Next week we'll be beginning our new message series on the letter to the Hebrews. But today we are focusing on the end of Genesis, on the very last chapter in Genesis chapter 50. The entire chapter has 26 verses, but I will be reading the first 11 verses as we begin. So if you are able, let us all stand together in the presence of the Lord in honor of his word as we will read in Genesis in chapter 50. The first 11 verses. I will read most of the verses for us, but I will ask you to read the final verses with me. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 50, beginning in verse 1, Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Now 40 days were required for it, for such is the period required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for 70 days. When the days of mourning for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your sight, please speak to Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am about to die. In my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Now therefore, please let me go up and bury my father. Then I will return. Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. And with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the household of Joseph and his brothers and his father's household. They left only their little ones and their flocks and their herds in the land of Goshen. There also went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and sorrowful lamentation. And he observed seven days mourning for his father. Let us all read this final verses together. Now, when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning for the Egyptians. Therefore, it was named Abel Mizraim, which is beyond the Jordan. Let us all go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We are grateful once again to be here in your presence to magnify your name. And we pray, Lord, that your word will be mighty to our hearts. You are the God of all power. You are the God of all knowledge. And you are the God who is ever present. We thank you for your presence within us through your Holy Spirit. And may your spirit minister to us through the power of your everlasting word. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. This morning... Based on all the verses from Genesis in chapter 50, our message title for today is All According to Plan. All According to Plan. The Bible is clear that the sovereignty of God controls all events in life. Nothing can happen outside of God's permission. And everything that God determines to do, he does it. Nothing nor no one can stop the plans of God. The Bible tells us in Psalm 115 verse 3, Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Did you hear that? God does whatever he pleases. Case closed. No rebuttal. When you cannot understand the circumstances in your life, Keep this in mind. Remember this. God is in control. Everything that is happening, it is happening, it is unfolding according to the plan of God for your life if you are a child of God. You may not understand every step of the way, but you may rest on the truth 
that everything is happening according to the plan of God for your life, for the glory of his name. In this conclusion of the story of Joseph, we will see exactly that. That the plans of God are always fulfilled according to his sovereign purpose, according to his sovereign will. Beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. Obviously, by verse 1, beginning with an adverb, with that word then, it connects with whatever was happening at the end of the previous chapter. Chapter 49, as Paul Johnson went over that chapter with us last week, we saw that Jacob, Joseph's father, he pronounced a blessing over each of his 12 sons. And afterwards, Joseph, uh, Jacob died. So we could say that Genesis chapter 15 verse 1 begins, After the death of Jacob, then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. Joseph was mourning for his father's death. And of course, Joseph certainly was thankful to God for allowing him to see his father after many, dec after many decades being apart from him. And so the Lord blessed Joseph in being able to see his father. And not only that, we will see that God used Joseph for the fulfillment of his promise to Jacob. What did God promise to Jacob that he was going to do? We read in Genesis chapter 46, the Bible tells us, God spoke to Israel, who is Jacob, in visions of the night and said, I am God the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, but I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will close your eyes. God told Jacob that he didn't have to be afraid of going to Egypt that was in accordance with the plan of God. But he promised Jacob that he would make for Jacob to return to Canaan, to the promised land. And as we saw last week, at the end of his life, Jacob made his son swear and commit to him that after his death, they would not allow his body to remain in Egypt, but that they would bring his body back to the promised land. And so it is that Joseph is going to be used by God all according to plan, for the fulfillment of God's promise to Joseph. In first place in chapter 50, we'll see God's promise fulfilled. Beginning with God using Joseph for the preparation of Jacob's body for his return to the promised land. The Bible tells us, beginning in verse 2, Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Now 40 days were required for it, for such is the period required for embalming. Joseph told his physicians to embalm his father Jacob, which was a process that would take 40 days. Notice that Joseph summoned his own physicians to do the mummification, to do the embalming according to the customs of Egypt. But he did not summon the religious priests of Egypt to do the mummification of his father's body. Why? Because Joseph did not want to be associated with any of the superstitious aspects of Egyptian mummification. As you may know, the religious priests of Egypt, they would mummify the body out of the superstition that the soul would repossess the body after death only if the soul could recognize the body of the deceased. In other words, if the body had been destroyed, if the body had been disfigured beyond recognition, if the body had been burned, then the soul would be lost forever without being able to recognize the body where it came from. Because of that superstition, the Egyptians then, through mummification, they would go through this painstaking process to preserve the body's original appearance. They would open the cadaver and they would remove all the internal organs and let the body dry for 40 days. They would then place the heart back into the chest cavity because they say without the heart inside, the soul wouldn't find its place. They would place the heart back into the chest cavity and then they would stuff the body with linen and sand. And afterwards, they would wrap the person from head to toe with bandages. And then in the end result, the person would look this way. 
This is an actual photo of an Egyptian mummy. Certainly, Joseph did not want to be associated with any of the superstitious practices of the Egyptians. But he summoned his own physicians as opposed to the religious priests, priests to do the mummification of his father. Not because he believed in the superstitions of the Egyptians, but because he needed to prepare his father's body for the long trip from Egypt back to Canaan, which would take at least 300 miles. Without embalming Jacob's body, his body would have become badly decomposed once they arrived there. Joseph did not compromise his faith. He was surrounded by pagans. He was surrounded by a false religion. He was surrounded by false gods and superstitions. But he remained standing firm in his convictions without compromise. The Bible tells us that you and I as believers, we must do so following the example of Joseph. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. Like Joseph, may our testimony always reveal to the world that our trust in God doesn't waver despite the circumstances, despite the situations in our lives. The Bible tells us that God began to fulfill his promise through Joseph's preparation of Jacob's body, but also through Pharaoh's approval. Throughout this message series, we have been reminded many a times of Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1. Do you remember what that verse says? It says that the king's heart is in the hand of God. And God moves the heart of the king in whatever way he pleases. We will once, we once again see this. That God was going to move the heart of Pharaoh to agree to allow for Joseph to leave Egypt so that he could bring his father's body back to the promised land, back to Canaan. But I want you to remember this. When Joseph told his brothers to bring his father Jacob to Egypt, he didn't consult Pharaoh first, remember? He didn't ask for Pharaoh's approval first. Why? Because God had already revealed to him that everything was happening according to the plan of God and that God had already worked in the heart of Pharaoh. So remember what happened? Pharaoh called Joseph into his presence and Pharaoh said, I want you to bring your father here to Egypt and the best of Egypt will be available to him and to your family. Exactly what Joseph had already told his brothers to do because God had already been working in the heart of Pharaoh. But here, Joseph asks Pharaoh permission. He asked Pharaoh's approval first. The Bible says, beginning in verse 4, When the days of mourning for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your sight, please speak to Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am about to die. Notice that Joseph... He didn't speak to Pharaoh directly, but he asked the household of Pharaoh, he asked the servants of Pharaoh to go to Pharaoh on his behalf to ask him if he could leave Egypt. Why did he do that? Because during that time he was in, in mourning. He was still wearing the clothes of mourning, the clothes of grief. And no one could appear before the king wearing those clothes. We see that in the Bible, in the book of Esther in chapter 4 in verse 2. So Joseph couldn't go before Pharaoh to make that request himself because he could not appear dressed that way before Pharaoh. But he sent his, the servants of Pharaoh to speak on his behalf. And he said, please speak to Pharaoh saying, my father made me swear saying, behold, I am about to die. In my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Now, therefore, please let me go up and bury my father. Then... I will return. What did Pharaoh say? Pharaoh said, go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. Once again, as the Bible says in Proverbs 21 verse 1, God worked in the heart of Pharaoh because that was exactly according to his plan. Nothing can interfere thwart, impede the plans of God for your life on what God has already decreed to do. Nothing can stand in the way. 
And that is exactly what God did because he had made a promise to Jacob that he was going to move him from Egypt back into the promised land. And so God fulfilled that promise. And I want you to notice that the Bible tells us specifically that Pharaoh agreed to that. But why did Joseph have to ask Pharaoh's permission in first place? Wasn't he the second in command in the country? In today's language, he would be the vice president of the nation. But he still had one superior to him. He still had the king. He still had Pharaoh above him. He could not just pack his bags and leave the, and leave the nation. He needed Pharaoh's permission to do so. He subjected himself to the authority superior to him. Like Joseph did, God has called us as Christians to also be submissive to the authorities placed over us. The Bible tells us specifically in the book of Romans, in the letter of Paul to the Romans, in chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Did you hear that? As Christians, the Bible tells us that it is uh, the commandment of God for us to be submissive to the governmental authorities. Not because of an election, not because of the popular vote, but because God was the one who placed them there in first place. We must understand that by faith, according to what the Bible tells us. There is no authority except the ones that are, in, that are placed in their post according to God, according to what God allows. He says, and those which exist are established by God. That is, a, that is a true commandment for Christians in Russia, for Christians in China, for Christians even in this United States. We are commanded to obey the governmental authorities. And therefore, obedience to the government becomes a matter of faith. Especially in the days that we are living. Irrespective of who has been elected. Except with one biblical caveat. There is one biblical exception to this commandment. And that is in the book of Acts in chapter 5 in verse 29 where the Bible says, But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. We must be submissive to the authority of the government. But when the laws of the government are against the laws of God, we must obey God and not men. When the laws of men are contrary to what God dictates in his word, we must obey God no matter the cost. Let us remember this. We must obey God rather than men when the laws of men are against the precepts of God. God was fulfilling his promise to Jacob through Joseph's preparation of his body, working in the heart of Pharaoh to approve Joseph's traveling from Egypt back to Canaan, and so Jacob returned according to the promise of God to him. As we read at the beginning of verse 7, so Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the household of Joseph, and his brothers and his father's household, and it was a very great company. A great caravan of Egyptian nobles accompanied Joseph and his brothers to bring Jacob's body back to Canaan. Verses 10 and 11, as we have already read, tells us that the Egyptians, they mourned and they cried aloud for an additional seven days in honor and in respect of Jacob. What a magnificent display of royal honor unto Jacob. In the 17 years that he had been in Egypt, he achieved a position of high status among the nobles of Egypt. Only God can do that. He was honored by men, but the greatest honor that Jacob received came from God himself. The Bible tells us in Hebrews in chapter 11 in verse 16 that God was not ashamed to be called the God of Jacob. God was not ashamed to be called his God. Throughout the Bible, we see that God is called the God of Jacob. For instance, in Psalm 114, verse 7, it says there that he is the God of Jacob. What an amazing grace 
a man with so many failures, a man who was so pessimistic in his depression, a man whose own name meant the usurper and deceiver, but in the end he was saved by his faith in God. What can the grace of God do? He was saved by the mercies of God and he was honored by God in the end. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians in chapter 10 in verse 18, it is not he who praises himself who is approved by God, but it is he whom the Lord praises who is, appro who is approved by him. We may receive the honor from men, but it is much better to receive honor from God. When a loved one dies, those who survive the deceased are always comforted by all the testimonies that they hear during the eulogy time at the funeral. However, the only eulogy that really matters is the one we receive from God himself. When the true believer will hear from the mouth of Jesus Christ our Lord, the words of Matthew chapter 25 verse 23, when he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. That is his promise to each and every one of us who have given our lives to him, that by faith one day, we will hear those words from the lips of Christ, well done, my good and faithful servant. How about you? When you leave this earth, what will God say to you? I hope and pray that you have heard the words of the gospel and that you have believed its message, that you were convicted and convinced that in your sins you would spend eternity separated from God in a place of torment. But that you understand the message of the gospel that God himself, he sent his one and only son to pay for the penalty of your sins, sending him to die at Calvary's cross. And the moment that you repent of your sins and accept what Jesus Christ has done for you at Calvary's cross, you are forgiven and you belong to God forevermore. Someone may say, well, preacher, I just don't have time for religion. I just don't have time for church. I, don't, I just don't have time for this. If you only knew how busy I am. Well, I have said it once and I'll say it many times. Remember this. If you don't have time for God on earth, then why should God have time for you in eternity? Now is the time. This is the acceptable time for salvation. This is the time. May the Spirit of God convict your heart so that you repent of your sins and receive Christ as your Savior. And so it was that the promise of God to Jacob was fulfilled. His body was moved from Egypt to the promised land. The Bible says, beginning in verse 12, Thus his sons did for him as he had charged them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, before Manre, which Abraham had bought along with the field for a burial site from Ephron the Hittite. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt. God fulfilled his promise to him in that he moved his body from Egypt to the promised land. And today, we can visit the site in the old city of Machpelah, Today in the West Bank of Israel, where Abraham had purchased that cave, where he buried his wife Sarah, and where he himself would be buried later, and also his son Isaac, and in full, full complete fulfillment of the promise of God to him, Jacob is also buried here. For the Jews, this is one of the most sacred sites in all of Israel. That's where all three patriarchs are buried, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God's promise was fulfilled according to the plan of God. And now we also see man's guilt revealed. We have seen God's promise fulfilled. And now we see man's guilt revealed in the brother's remorse. In the remorse that the brothers of Joseph manifested at this moment. The Bible tells us in verse 15, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph bears a grudge against us? And pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him. Joseph's brothers 
were remorseful, but not repentant. You see, remorse makes you afraid of the consequence. Repentance makes you confess your wrongs. They were only afraid of the consequence. You see what they say? What if Joseph pays us back in full? They were afraid of the consequence, the punishment that Joseph could inflict upon them. And yet, as you may recall, at this point, Joseph is 56 years old. 17 years earlier, when he was 39, we saw in Genesis chapter 45 in verse 15 that he had already forgiven his brothers. Remember when he kissed all of them and he wept on them and he was reconciling to them. He didn't show us one sign of vengeance of being vengeful toward them because he understood the plan of God in all of it. And yet, they did not decide to be repentant and to admit and to confess their guilt before Joseph. But they tried to conceal it. They tried to soften the blow. They tried to come up with something that would lessen the punishment that they should be receiving. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 28, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. It is always better for you to confess your sin to God than to try to hide it from the one who sees all things. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. The brothers never came to a place of repentance, but they only came to a place of remorse. And in their remorse, they did this. They came up with a lie. They came up with a lie. They, they told Joseph. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father charged before he died, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. The Bible tells us that they sent a message to Joseph saying that Jacob had told them to tell Joseph to forgive them. We don't see a single biblical account where Jacob is saying this to them. Most likely 17 years earlier, instead of owning up to what they had done to him, the evil that they had done to him, they had sold him as slave to the Egyptians. Despite the cries for begging, begging for mercy for them not to do that, they disregarded their brother's plead for mercy. And worse yet, when they came back home, they allowed their father Jacob to believe that Joseph had been eaten by a wild beast, that Joseph was dead. Instead of owning up to all the evil they had done against Joseph, no, they came up with an excuse. And I want you to notice this. They didn't have the courage to talk to Joseph face to face because the Bible says that they sent a message to Joseph to tell their lie to him. They sent a message to Joseph saying, your father charged this before he died. It is important for us to realize what happened here. God's sovereignty was being confirmed. You may say, how could this be? How could this all be according to the plan of God? They were remorseful, not repentant. They did evil, not good. How could it still be according to the sovereignty of God? But I want you to understand this. Indeed, repentance is of utmost importance in the Bible. Remember what was the very first word that Jesus spoke when he began his public ministry? The first word that Jesus spoke in public is in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, when the Lord Jesus said, repent. In Acts chapter 17, in verse 30, the Bible says that God is demanding people everywhere to come to repentance now. This is the time for repentance. Yet they were simply remorseful and not repentant. I believe that there are many people who hear the gospel 
and they are remorseful once they hear the consequences of their sin. Once they hear the penalty of hell. Once they hear about the horrors of an eternal suffering. And they give the appearance of having professed faith in Christ Jesus. Simply because they were afraid of the consequences, but not because the Holy Spirit worked repentance in their hearts. They may begin coming to church and they, you may even see a, a, a few changes in their lives. They may even become baptized. But after that phase passes by, they go back to the old way of life. Why? Because they were just remorseful. And they never receive repentance that comes from the Holy Spirit. Nothing can replace repentance. They were just remorseful and not repentant. And I repeat the question, how then could this all be according to the plan of God? How then could this be a confirmation to the sovereignty of God in all that was happening in Joseph's life? We are going to see first in the fulfillment of the divine dream. The Bible tells us, beginning in verse 17, and Joseph wept when they spoke to him. By the way, who are they? Not Joseph's brothers. Remember? They sent messengers to talk to Joseph. They didn't have the gut to face him to speak their lie. So when the Bible says here that Joseph wept when they spoke to him, it means that Joseph began to cry when the messengers gave him that message from, the, from his brothers. The Bible doesn't say why Joseph was crying. But one can only speculate that it could be that he discerned that that was a lie, that his father never told his brothers to say so. And he was crying, he was sorrowful for the pathetic display from his, from his brothers. Or it could be that he was crying, thinking of all the suffering, of all the sorrow that he had to endure because of them. Be that as it may, when the messengers told Joseph that message from his brothers, he started crying. And then the brothers came in. The Bible says, then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. Ah, where have we seen this before? Remember the dream that God gave to Joseph that his brothers one day were going to bow before him and be the fulfillment of exactly what Joseph is seeing right now. Remember what the brothers said to him when Joseph told them about the dream? The Bible says in Genesis chapter 37, Then his brothers said to him, Are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And now here they are, bowing down before him. Oh my, how the tables have turned. God made the fulfillment of the dream that he had given to Joseph to come true. God's sovereignty was completely confirmed in what God had already revealed that he was going to do. Nothing can impede the plans of God. Not only God's sovereignty was confirmed through the divine dream being fulfilled, but also through the divine plan in all that was happening in Joseph's life. The Bible tells us, beginning verse 19, But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. Verse 20 is not only the key verse in this chapter, but it is the key passage in the entire story of Joseph and the sovereignty of God. God revealed to him that despite all the suffering, that all the evil that God was allowing to come against Joseph, it was all for the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham, for the preservation of his covenant promises to him, so that his descendants would remain alive despite the famine through what God was going to do through Joseph. And one of the descendants of Abraham that the Lord would make to be alive would be none other than the Messiah himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would be born for the salvation of many. It was all according to the plan of God. And God's sovereignty was being confirmed right before his eyes. I ask you this. When Joseph says to his brothers, 
you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. What is it? When he says to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant the evil for good. What does that mean? God made Joseph's brothers to commit evil? God made them to do the evil against Joseph? Absolutely not. God never tempts anyone. The Bible tells us in James in chapter 1, let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God because God cannot be tempted by evil. And God himself does not tempt anyone. Joseph's brothers, they did that evil on their own. God never induced them to do that evil. They did that all on their own. But God overruled the evil to produce the results that he wanted to preserve his covenant promises. Do you understand that? That is critical that you understand that God doesn't tempt anyone to evil and he doesn't induce anyone to commit evil. The brothers themselves, they did that all on their own. They planned evil against Joseph with the purpose of destroying Joseph, of killing Joseph. God, who allowed the evil, he did not allow the evil to have the purpose it wanted. But through those circumstances, God made his purposes to be fulfilled. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 46, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. There is no evil that can stand in the way of God, fulfilling all his promises. Do you understand that? When the Jewish leaders planned evil against Jesus to crucify him, they did that all on their own. But God, who allowed the evil of crucifixion to come against Jesus, he did not allow the evil intent of the Jewish leaders to be fulfilled, to kill Jesus and, to re and keep him remain, remaining dead in the tomb. But God overruled the evil and he rose Jesus from the grave. He gave life once again to Jesus Christ, our Savior. Evil cannot overpower the power of our God. God doesn't tempt anyone, but he overruled it, overruled the evil to produce the results he wanted. God's sovereignty was also confirmed in the divine example that we receive through Joseph. We see a divine example of what God expects us to do for his plan to be fulfilled in our lives. The Bible tells us in verse 21, So therefore do not be afraid, Joseph said to them. I will provide for you and your little ones. So Joseph comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Can you believe it? 17 years later, Joseph was still maintaining a godly testimony. He spoke kindly to those brothers who did such evil toward them, toward him. But not only he spoke kindly to them, he also acted in kindness toward them. Joseph not only talked the talk, but he walked the walk. It reminds me of that verse in 1 John in chapter 3 where the Bible says, Dear children, let us not love with words or, or speech, but with actions and in truth. Just like Joseph, God called us to love and be a divine example of his love for others. The same way that God loves, he expects us to love others, even our enemies. Personally, one of the most difficult verses in the Bible for me to live by is Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, where Jesus says, love your enemies. I don't know about you, but that's a tough one for me. But it is God's expectation that we have that divine example in our lives, and we can only do that not in our own strength. Only God can give me and can give you the grace to love others in that way. In following the divine example, 
loving others not to the exception of those who are our enemies, but even those who are our enemies, God can give us the grace to love them as well. And so we have seen that all according to plan, God's promise fulfilled, man's guilt revealed, God's sovereignty confirmed, and now lastly we see Joseph's faith validated. Joseph's faith was validated. In that he did not trust and believe in the Lord in vain. But the Lord was faithful to him and his faith was validated. First, in that God multiplied his descendants. As we see in verse 22 and 23, now Joseph stayed in Egypt and he and his father's household and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's son also the sons of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were born on Joseph's knees. Did you see that? Joseph saw his great, great grandchildren through his son Ephraim. And he saw his great grandchildren through his other son Manasseh. His faith was validated. He believed that the Lord had allowed all of that to come upon his life. For the sake of the descendants of Abraham, to keep them alive as he had made a promise in his covenant. And so it was. After 54 years, when Joseph is now 110 at the end of his life, he was able to not only believe that the descendants would remain alive and be multiplied, but he was able to see, even up to his great-great-grandchildren, in fulfillment of the promise of God. What a faith. The Bible tells us in Hebrews in chapter 11 in verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. But anyone who comes to God, he must believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who trust him, of those who seek him, of those who come to him. Do you know what the Bible says in Romans chapter 10 verse 11? The Bible says, whoever believes in God will never be disappointed. Whoever believes in God will never be disappointed. You may not always understand all the pages in the book of your life, but you can rest on the fact that once you come to the end of the book, everything will be made according to the plan of God for your life and for the glory of his name. Whoever trusts in God will never be disappointed. We must believe in God. We must have faith in God, not according to the circumstances. Despite the wind, despite the storm, despite everything that may be happening right in front of your eyes, keep Jesus in front of you. Just look at him, not at your circumstances. Remember what Jesus tells us in Matthew in chapter 18 in verse 3 when he says that we must become like children to be able to enter the kingdom of God. You must be able to have faith like a child to enter the kingdom of God. Like Joseph, he didn't care about the circumstances, but he knew the plan of God for his life and his faith was validated. Every time I read that verse when the Lord says that we must have the faith of a child to enter the kingdom of God, it reminds me of the story of the three-year-old little girl who loved balloons. And one day she went to the store with her father and lo and behold, there were many balloons on display. And she kept on tugging on her father, saying that she wanted a balloon. And her father couldn't resist her little girl, his little girl, and he bought one balloon for her. And the little girl was so elated that at home she would be walking all around with that balloon no matter where she went. Until the time that she went outside, she went to the backyard, still holding the balloon. And as she is walking outside, she passes through a tree on the backyard, and one of the tree branches pierces the balloon, and the balloon blows up to smithereens. The father inside the house comes running because he heard the popping of the balloon, and he was expecting that his little girl would burst into tears. And to his surprise, she didn't shed a tear. But she was just crouching on the ground, picking up the little pieces of the balloon with her little hand. She then gets up, she turns to her father, and she says, Daddy, can you fix it? Daddy, can you fix it? Now that's the faith of a child. You and I know that there was no fixing that balloon. 
But she didn't care about it. She just believed that her father could do it. It could be that you, in your own life, maybe you feel like your life has been broken to smithereens. And if you look at your circumstances, there is nothing that no one can do for you. But have the faith of a child. Pick up the pieces of your life and come to the father and say to him, Daddy, can you fix it? Daddy, can you fix it? There is nothing possible to our God. And when you come to him in faith, Romans 10, 11 says, whoever believes in God will never, ever be disappointed. The Bible tells us Joseph's faith was validated also in that God moved his descendants. The Bible says in verse 24, Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die. But God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Jacob received the promise and he was moved to the promised land. This is the first time that you see in the Bible all three names of the patriarchs being mentioned together because now God had fulfilled the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But at that moment, Jacob, Joseph had spoken in faith that he also, that he too would be brought into the promised land. Not only that, that his descendants, the people of Israel, would leave Egypt and would go into the promised land. Joseph never saw that with his eyes, but he believed in the exodus. He believed in the fact that God would raise a deliverer in Moses to bring his, the people of Israel back to the promised land. But even after the death of Joseph, the people of Israel remained in Egypt. And a new Pharaoh came to power. And the people of Israel actually stayed in Egypt for an additional 400 years. Where they were oppressed, they were under distress, they were made slaves to the Egyptians. Why did God wait 400 years until the deliverer in Moses was raised up by God? I don't have time to go over with you, but you can read the answer in Genesis in chapter 15, verses 13 through 16. God allowed them to remain there for 400 years. But in the end, he raised Moses for the people to be delivered. Unfortunately, even after Moses led them into the promised land, as soon as they arrived in the promised land, the people began to be unfaithful to God. And despite all the warnings and despite the great patience of God, the people of Israel eventually were expelled from the promised land, taken as captives from two, by two foreign nations. And now it has been 3,500 years and the people of Israel still has not fully taken possession of the promised land. Because now it is the time for our salvation. Now is the time for the Gentiles, as the Lord Jesus says in Luke chapter 21, verse 24. Ah, but don't you fret. Because everything happens according to the plan of God. If God promised, he will fulfill. The time will come, and I believe that will be soon, when we will all be together. When all Israel, along with the church, will be together glorifying the Lord our God, praising his name in his millennial kingdom from the promised land, from Jerusalem, when all of us together will be glorifying the name of the Lord. The Lord is faithful in his promise and we can certainly believe and trust that so he will do. God indeed will be faithful to his word. And lastly, as we conclude, Joseph's faith was validated in that God honored his faith. The Bible tells us in Hebrews in chapter 11, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. And what happened after? The Bible says in Exodus chapter 13, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you and you shall carry my bones from here with you. So Moses took the remains of Joseph from Egypt and then when 
The Bible tells us that Joshua took the people into the promised land. Then he buried the bones of Joseph. In Joshua chapter 24, the Bible says, Now they bury the bones of Joseph, which the sons of Israel brought up from Egypt at Shechem, in the piece of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, from 100 pieces of money. And they became the inheritance of Joseph's son. As Joseph believed, the word of the Lord was faithful, and he too was moved to the promised land. And even today, you can go to the West Bank in Israel and visit the tomb of Joseph. You walk straight through that entrance door. And once you are inside, there his remains are in complete fulfillment of the promise of God. The book of Genesis begins with the creation of life. And yet the book of Genesis ends with two deaths. The death of Jacob and the death of Joseph. What is the message for us? The message for us is that death is not the end. Today, both Joseph and Jacob are more alive than ever, glorifying and praising the Lord. Death is not the end, but just like Joseph believed, the descendants of the Lord are multiplying. We are descendants of Abraham by faith. The church of Jesus Christ has been risen by God, our Savior, in fulfillment of his promise, in fulfillment of all that the Lord had said. When we know that soon and very soon we will all be together, not only with Joseph and Jacob, but with Peter, with Paul, with James, with the apostles. But most importantly, we will be together with our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who died for us at Calvary's cross. We will see him face to face in complete fulfillment of the promise of God. All of us will be in the presence of God. All of us will be in the presence of the Lord. All according to plan. We have seen God's promise fulfilled, man's guilt revealed, God's sovereignty confirmed, Joseph's faith validated. The same God who was faithful 4,000 years ago to fulfill all of his promises is the same God today who is faithful to you to fulfill all all his purposes in your life, all according to plan. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you. We praise you for the privilege of standing here in your presence, Lord, for the glory of your name. Who are we, Lord, that you are mindful of us, that we are privileged in abiding in such eternal and blessed promises that we will all be together one day in your presence, glorifying the one who died for us, but alive is he. Oh, we want to see you face to face. What a moment, what a glorious moment won't we be. We thank you.